This week's podcast is brought to you by Thinking Long and Short, an investment professional's newsletter that is a tool for financial advisors and individual investors to stay current on financial market conditions. Investment professionals can use the insightful thoughts provided in a newsletter to keep their clients well-informed and properly positioned to achieve their financial goals. Subscribe to the newsletter at truenorthmarketresearch.substack.com to get daily newsletters emailed to you before the market open. With that, also, if you're listening to this on YouTube, like and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on Spotify, follow the channel. It really helps get the channel out there for other people to see and get investment thoughts as we head into the market volatility in the second quarter. With that, the markets had a pretty good week. The S&P 500 finished the week up 2% despite selling off on Friday, but it was a pretty healthy rally for markets in general this week as we got a lot of buying in the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ. Again, the, Na- the NASDAQ has been the underperformer in this year of all the major indices, but it had a very healthy rally this week. Bonds also got major buying coming in. The U.S. 10-year Treasury now yields 2.75%, which is way down from the recent highs on interest rates on the U.S. 10-year. Well, remember, we got just a few weeks ago above 3% for the first time in years, well, bond yields have come back down as investors have come in and bought up bonds. Again, there's a lot of buying that's been going on in the bond market because people are starting to sniff out a recession. That's one of the reasons for why the market rallied this week, because investors are hoping that a mild recession not only kills inflation, but then allows the Federal Reserve to ease up on its inflation fight. So a couple of weeks ago, when we got the high CPI reading for June, of 9.1% inflation on a year-over-year basis, the markets had started to initially react to that by pricing in a 100 basis point rate hike in the Fed meeting that comes up this week. But now we start to see that investors are starting to pull back on that. And the market's actually now going back to expecting a 75 basis point rate hike, which I'll go over in a little bit. The oil market got slammed as well this week. We continue to see volatility in the oil market. Oil settled the Friday trading session at 94 spot 70 for a barrel of West Texas crude. And the gold markets also sold off again this week. Gold finished the week at about 1727 per ounce. Again, getting sold off not only because people expect we're at peak inflation, but people expect that if we're not at peak inflation, the Fed will continue to ramp up its inflation fight. So why own an inflation hedge like gold? if the Federal Reserve is either going to fight inflation or inflation is going to go away on its own. So people continue to throw gold away and buy dollars, buy bonds as they try to get out of some stock market uh, volatility. And again, this is all misguided, but we'll go over that in a little bit. Now, we got a lot of economic data out this week. On Tuesday, we got the euro CPI year over year numbers. In the eurozone, there was 8.6% year-over-year inflation over the past year. Now, we also got the ECB, in response to this inflation data, came out with a surprise 50 basis point rate hike, which now brings interest rates in the eurozone to 0 and 0.25. But interest rates up until this point in the eurozone have actually been negative, and they are 
even further behind the inflation curve than the Federal Reserve is. Because again, we have 9.1% year over year inflation in the United States, but we still have interest rates at one and a half to 1.75%. But in the Eurozone, the European Central Bank, the ECB is at zero now, but their inflation rate year over year again is 8.6%. So to this point, the ECB has fallen further behind fighting the inflation that they have than the Federal Reserve has fighting the inflation in the United States. That's one of the reasons why the dollar has been rallying in the currency markets over the past several months, most specifically against the euro and the Japanese yen. Because in the eurozone and in Japan, they have fallen much further behind the inflation curve. Now, I think that the ECB is going to have to start playing catch up with fighting their inflation. And that's why they did the 50 basis point rate hike. But they're just early in their uh, rate raising cycle, whereas the Federal Reserve has already started their rate raising cycle. And it's a lot of investors are starting to expect by 2023, the Fed's going to start to be able to slow down its inflation fight. So what this says to me is that the dollar just went on a major rally against other fiat currencies over the past several months. If they are now going to expect that the ECB is going to continue to start fighting inflation aggressively, much more aggressively than the Fed is going to fight inflation in the United States, to me, it seems like a good trade to sell dollars and buy euros. Now, that has implications for U.S. markets moving forward because a weaker dollar is going to take some pressure off of other U.S. assets like stocks, like bonds, like gold, right? A lot of pressure is come from a rising dollar. The rising dollar is not only making stock prices weaker, but it's making multinational corporations' earnings weaker because they have foreign exchange risk from their sales in other countries so if we see a trend reverse and the dollar start to get weaker, which the dollar, by the way, sold off this week, we got as high as $108 on the dollar index last week. This week, we closed the week out just over $105. So we've had a substantial move down in the dollar this week. Again, another reason for the rally in stocks. But I suspect that this dollar rally that's occurred over the last several months is probably over because, again, other central banks like the ECB like um, uh, Great Britain, they're going to have to start fighting inflation much more aggressively. With that, we also did get the CPI numbers for uh, for the Great uh, for Britain, and they had nine point four percent year over year inflation. So again, another central bank that is falling behind fighting inflation. All these European nations are going to have to start aggressively fighting inflation, and again. They are going to have to do so more than the U.S. because they don't have the privilege of having the world's reserve currency. And so it's much more important for their markets to stabilize inflation than it is for the U.S. to stabilize inflation right now, since the U.S. holds the privilege of having the world's reserve currency. We also got a lot of housing data this week in the U.S. Existing home sales came in lower than expected. We were expecting to have 5.37 million home sales for existing homes. Instead, we came in with just over 5 million home sales. So it was a substantial decline there from the expectation. Now, building permits and housing starts came in better than expected. We had 1.69 building permits opened and we had 1.56 million housing starts. Now, again, 
this is a problem for home builders because we're seeing that now they're coming on with new, uh, you know, new projects to build new homes while interest rates are starting to tick up and while home demand is starting to slow. Now, home demand is starting to slow dramatically because we also got existing home sales data. Again, the lowest, the, the, the 5.12 million home sales for existing homes that came in was the lowest number in home sales since July 2020. So you had to go back over two years just to figure out a number that came in less than the home sales we just got. And again, a big reason for that is because mortgage rates have gone up substantially over the past year. Now, as high as they've gone, mortgage rates still sit at historic all-time lows, but interest rates on mortgages have more than doubled since this time last year, which means that if you're selling one home, say you're selling a $500,000 home, and you're looking to move into a home in a similar price range. Now, let's say you had a 3.5% fixed rate mortgage on the house you're currently living in that's valued at $500,000. Your monthly mortgage payment might be $1,300. If you sell that home and move into another $500,000 home, and now you have to take a mortgage that is has a 6% uh, fixed rate, your new monthly mortgage payment might be seventeen, eighteen, or nineteen hundred dollars to live in a home the same value as the one you were previously living in. So a lot of homes in the middle income and lower middle income ranges are going to start to slow up dramatically because there's not going to be as many buyers out there. Because again, there's no reason to move into a home similar than the one the, to the one you live in now if you're going to pay a much higher mortgage rate. The only people who are going to be moving in the lower and the middle uh, price ranges for houses are the people who have to move to relocate for jobs um, or you know any any purposes like that. So home sales are starting to decline dramatically, and we also see a lot of economic data showing that the economy is slowing in many other areas. On Thursday, we got the Philly Fed Manufacturing Index. There, we were expecting the numbers to come in flat. They came in at negative 12.3. Now, again, this index, to see something come in that low, you would have to go all the way back to May 2020. Again, very similar to the home sales data where you'd have to go back to July 2020, right? Think about what was going on during that time two years ago. We had just entered covid the lockdowns had just started and the economy was slowing dramatically because a lot of the stimulus money hadn't gotten out into the economy yet. But we're starting to see the economy is rolling over in all of this data that we're getting. Again, the Philly Fed manufacturing data is showing that manufacturing is starting to slow down. The housing market is starting to slow down. We're getting we got a lot of notable earnings from uh, this week and we get a lot of notable earnings this week coming up. But this week, we had a lot of blowups. Snapchat came in with less than expected revenues, and the stock immediately got crushed. It traded, I believe, down as much as 38% the following day. Now, Snapchat, this stock is trading at under $12 a share. It's down 88% from its all-time highs. You could have bought this stock at, I believe, $70 or $80 per share just a year ago. This is the third straight quarter that the stock has dropped more than 20% 
after reporting earnings. So the stock has been a complete disaster. And what is going on with Snapchat? Well, a lot of their revenues come from businesses advertising to their customers. So same thing with Facebook, with TikTok, with Twitter, all these social media companies derive their revenues from ad spends coming from small and big businesses. Now, when you're going into a recession, as a business owner or as a CEO of a major corporation, what you have to do is you have to recognize that there's going to be a slowdown in demand in the economy. And you therefore have to temporarily shrink your business to prepare for the slowdown in demand, which is going to lead to a slowdown in your revenues. The two easiest ways to do that is one, you can lay off some of your workforce and two, you can lower your marketing budget, your ad spend. And so that's what's affecting a lot of these companies like Snapchat, like Facebook. Again, Facebook has had a horrible year, but the stock is very cheap and it's cheap for a reason. Why? Because the markets are sniffing out a recession coming, which means a lot less ad spend on these social media platforms. And that's why a lot of these social media platforms are getting absolutely killed because the revenues are not going to be there for advertising dollars in the near future. Now, another earnings report that we got on Friday coming from AT&T, AT&T, their stock got clobbered after reporting earnings. And the notable thing we have to look at there is the catalyst for the sell-off in their stock came from an announcement on the earnings call that a lot of their customers are now starting to default and fall behind on their monthly payments for their phone bills. This is very notable. Now, we don't know if this is just related to AT&T or if this is going to happen in the cell phone industry across America. But if this is going to start to become a burden and something that is not just in one company, this is a huge problem. If customers can't even make their phone payments on time, think about all of the economic hardships that must be going on for a household in order for that to happen. Because again, inflation is eating away a lot of the budget for a lot of Americans. They're spending so much money on food, energy, housing, whether it's rent or a higher mortgage payment like I just talked about. They're spending so much money on those areas that they have very little disposable income left for other things that may not be necessities. So if customers are starting to make late payments on their phone bills, that's a very bad sign moving forward. And what you might start to see is a lot of households as they're struggling to make ends meet, maybe you're a family that has three or four kids that have cell phones. Maybe you're going to cut out that one cell phone or two cell phone lines that are for your younger kids as you're trying to continue to make ends meet as inflation is eroding away the amount of income you have left for disposable income. But it is very notable that Americans are defaulting on a payment, which is a very small payment in their overall budget. Now, we also got AutoNation reported earnings along with Tesla. Now, AutoNation, which is a retail dealership chain, reported a 14% year-over-year decline in their revenues. So again, this is the auto sector. A lot of Americans can't afford to buy new or used cars anymore. That is why AutoZone has been outperforming the rest of the market for this year because people are forced to make their cars last longer to fix them up, to try and keep them on the road, because they cannot afford to go in and make new purchases for cars, because again, they don't have any disposable income left for big purchases like that. 
Tesla also missed on revenues. And in fact, their margins actually got the, uh, they, they declined this uh, quarter because they're having inflation pressures that they're having trouble passing on those added costs for materials onto their customers. Now they beat earnings expectations, but it was only because they sold 75% of their Bitcoin holdings in order to do so. Now, again, Tesla is one of those auto companies, like a lot of the other traditional auto companies that are continuing to expand their operations, right? They just recently built plants in China and Berlin. They're expanding operations, yet the, the, the demand in the auto sector as a whole is declining. Now, demand for Teslas has not declined yet because they sell a higher end product. And so those upper middle class earnings are still there as we see that the labor market remains extremely tight. But once layoffs start to pick up, a lot of that demand will go away. But demand in, in a, as a whole for the auto industry, again, is sub declining substantially. That's why AutoNation's revenues declined by 14% year over year. And just an interesting uh, observation that I saw this weekend. Uh, today, this afternoon, I was out driving, uh, running some errands, and I passed the, a lot of the dealerships in my area. And I noticed, I looked at, at probably seven or eight dealerships. I noticed that the parking lots where the customers parked their cars to go look at the cars on the lot, completely empty. So this is Sunday, 1230 in the afternoon. And this is in a middle income to upper middle income, income neighborhood. And again, all these dealerships are empty. They have no customers there. That's not a good sign for economic activity. And it's not a good sign for the auto sector, especially, again, this is a sector that is starting to expand their operations, building new plants so that they can ramp up EV production. They've, they've increased their capacity to produce vehicles because a lot of supply chain issues in the past year or two. And this is going to be a perfect storm for the auto sector as demand basically completely collapses for vehicles moving forward, not only because we're moving into recession, but again, because interest rates are going to start to rise. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on sales because a lot of Americans who buy these cars are only able to buy them because they're able to finance these cars on five or six year loans with incredibly low interest rate payments. So a lot of these sales are going to decline moving forward. Now, in the week ahead, we get uh, on Tuesday, we're going to have consumer confidence comes out, as well as the Richmond Manufacturing Index and new home sales data on Tuesday. Wednesday, we get a lot of economic data in the morning, uh, core durable goods orders. We get the goods trade balance. We get wholesale inventories and pending home sales month over month. But on Wednesday, we get the much anticipated FOMC meeting and federal funds rate. And then we get the FOMC press conference to follow that. So we're going to see if the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates by 75 basis points or 100 basis points. I think the markets are now anticipating the Federal Reserve will stick with 75 basis points. We'll see what happens there. But I think a lot of people think that the Fed's work is being done for them because of the pressure on commodity prices recently. So I think a lot of investors are expecting the Federal Reserve is going to use that as an excuse to only go by 75 basis points instead of 100 and not go too far too fast. Thursday, we're going to get the advanced GDP quarter over quarter numbers, and we also get unemployment claims. Unemployment claims, by the way, have been ticking up each week over the past three weeks. 
The unemployment claims came in worse than expected this week. I think we got 251,000 initial unemployment claims. So we see that the, the labor market is slowing down little by little. Again, I expect in the next several months, we're going to get a big reading on unemployment, or we're going to get a very bad non-farm payroll number. And this recession is going to pick up very, very quickly. Again, as interest rates continue to rise, whether they rise this week by 75 or 100 basis points, either way, the economy can't handle either one. So it's going to be a major slowdown for the economy as interest rates continue to go up. Finally, on Friday this week, we're going to get the core PCE price index month over month. That's the, the inflation reading the Fed looks at the most. Uh, it's, it's more inaccurate than the CPI is, but it is the number that the Federal Reserve looks at the most for determine, determining uh, future CPI prints and future inflation data. We also are going to get personal income month over month and personal spending month over month with the Chicago PMI. But personal income and personal spending month over month are going to tell us how much consumers are slowing down on their spending. And we're also going to see how little real price, uh, wage increases are occurring when you account for inflation. Again, wage growth has occurred this year, but not anywhere near as much as inflation. So the workers in America, whether they're salary or hourly employees, are earning much less on a real basis than they were last year or the year before. Because again, Real wages are up about 3 or 4% this year, but inflation's up 9.1% on a year-over-year basis. Again, 15.6% on an annualized basis if you go by the last CPI. Now, we're still not anywhere near uh, done with earnings season. More of the notable names are going to report this week. Most anticipated is going to be Apple. That is the most important stock in the stock market period. A, because it makes up a huge portion of the S&P 500. Apple represents about 7% of the entire S&P 500. And anybody who has any exposure to U.S. stocks pretty much owns Apple. A lot of funds own them. They're in all the passive strategies. Uh, a lot of mutual funds, ETFs own this name. So if you are in any way, shape, or form invested in the U.S. stock market, you in some way, shape, or form own Apple. Google also reports GM, Chipotle, Whirlpool, Newmont Mining, McDonald's, 3M, Raytheon, Visa, Shopify, Texas Instruments, UPS, just to name a few. But we're going to get a lot of clarity on what's going on in the economy with those names I just mentioned. Again, a lot of them depend on consumer discretionary spending. A lot of them have uh, supply chain effects and impacts that are going on. A lot of them reflect the overall uh, uh, busyness or non-busyness of the U.S. economy. And again, if you look at Apple, they represent the global supply chain, consumer discretionary spending. Uh, they, they, this encompasses basically all of what's going on in the U.S. economy. So these are very notable earnings reports this week. Again, I make this point because I don't think people even realize this. But Apple, being as important of a stock as it is, about 50% of their business is derived from iPhone sales. Now, about 70% of their businesses is derived from physical products. The other 30% derived from uh, the Apple Store and re re revenues generated from Apple Store purchases. But out of the 70%, 
of physical products, 50% of their physical products rely on iPhone sales. Now, if you think about the iPhone, it's about 10 years old. It's never actually been sold in a recession before, right? You, iPhone sales didn't really start occurring uh, until 2012, and they didn't really pick up until 2013, 2014. So we've never actually seen how iSales, iPhone sales perform uh, in, in a recession. And again, it's a, it's a discretionary product. Now, I understand a lot of the telecom companies subsidize these phone sales. Like when you buy a phone from Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, uh, you get iPhones and a lot of deals there. But again, it's interesting to see, are people going to continue to buy iPhones every single year, replace their iPhones every single year in a recession. Now, again, AT&T just reported that they have phone sale delinquencies just in their mobile phones. If that's starting to occur throughout the economy, it seems reasonable to me that iPhone sales are going to start to slow dramatically as we move into Q3, Q4, into 2023 next year. Again, if that happens, that's going to be a major drag on the U.S. economy, on the indices. And if we start to have a lagging indicator on the indices from that, um, then that also means a lot of other companies are probably going to see declining revenues. So again, as I mentioned last week, the S&P 500 has gone through a brutal multiple contraction over the past year, but it has not seen a decline in earnings yet. So we still have a lot of way to go as we move into the next earnings report and the next Q3 and Q4 to see if earnings decline. And we are by no way, shape or form out of the woods yet. And that's why I continue to believe, even though we had a rally this week, it's it's still the, the, the consistency is still moderately to the downside here. And we can see a lot of selling going on in the next week, next year. And we're not out of the woods yet in this bear market whatsoever.